So I'm I'm Dan Mackin. I'm one of the um, sort of the co-founders of, of Caffeine and Machine. Um, as it evolved from a mere musing in uh, in Phil's mind into to something that's a little more tangible um, from a business perspective, and, and launching it over here in in the UK. I've hit record now before we get too into just having a chat as like pals because that's the whole idea of this so we might as well continue chatting while it records because that's that's going to give us the thing we're aiming for. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm joined today by Dan from Caffeine and Machine. It's nice that you named the second part of the the place after yourself. Exactly, Dan Machine. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's... (laughs) I've had all sorts. And Phil Caff. Yeah, Phil (laughs) Caff. I've been yeah I've been introduced as all sorts. I get McKenzie, I get uh, like McDonald, the, the full work. Mackin is is it's, it's is, Mackin, is yeah. fine, but uh, but yeah the others are a bit more uh, a bit more exciting. Um, but yeah, no, you're very welcome. Thank you. We're uh, we're we're sort of perched here overlooking the yard uh, up up in room three, which lends itself quite nicely to to these sort of chats and, and little meetings. So it's um yeah it's a nice spot to be just as Daikoku begins. I know I. Um... I text a friend who's going through a bit of a rough time and I said, oh, if, you, if you're about, I'm heading over to C&M later. Do you want to come? And he's like, oh, I'm working until like five. I was going to head over in my car for mm. Daikoku. And I was like, I didn't realise that was on. He's like, is that not why you're going in your <laughs> Japanese car? I was like, no, no, completely by chance. <laughs> Complete coincidence. Yeah. So You uh, say sometimes things are just meant to be. I know. The unfortunate thing is I have a slow-cooked chilli on the go. Oh, no. So I'm not going to be able to stay very late. Yeah, but it's slow-cooked. Yes. The beauty of the slow cooker is the longer you leave it, the better it gets. But my other half is the one cooking it. Ah. So the rice will be done to her timing, not yeah. my timing. Mm, more of a concern. Yeah, it's not me just, I'll just pop the that last on thing and off you need is go. rice that's just mush. Let's all be honest. Exactly. So, one uh, way to ruin a good chilli. <laughs> yeah. We haven't even got any nachos. Uh, we might have some cheesy Jesus. Doritos to go What's with. the point? Well, we might as well just end this might now. Well call we might it. Go home. Yeah, no, sod that. Get um, Mackie's on the way back because it sounds like you... <laughs> Up the creek without a paddle there with your shit rice and your dodgy chilli. Anyway. Oh, I'm sure I'll survive. It'll be an interesting <laughs> day tomorrow. I'll give you portion of nachos to take with you. Take them back. I should do. That's a great plan. Little takeaway. Perfect. Takeaway box. I do live an hour away, so that's fine. just microwave them when I get home. Yeah, chuck them under the grill for five. They'll be fine. Lovely um, job. Well, to try and bring this back onto topic, other than the fact that you guys do nachos here at Cuffin. <laughs> yeah, it's vaguely. Very tenuous, but there is a link. Vaguely relative. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's only one question that I ever ask in this thing, and it's the only form of structure I have, so I'll get it out of the way early. Who are you and what do you do? So I'm, I'm Dan Mackin. I'm one of the, um, sort of the co-founders of, of Caffeine and Machine. Um, as it evolved from a mere musing in, uh, in Phil's mind into to something that's a little more tangible um, from a business perspective and, and launching it over here in, in the UK... And maybe we'll chat a little bit about the, the background of that in a sec. But um, but my journey is very different to, to Phil's, which is sort of the, one of the main reasons as to why it, it works together um, and that we have strengths that very much sit in, in different areas uh, and, and weaknesses as well uh, of, of, of on both our parts. Uh, yeah, <laughs> relatively significant ones. And that uh, we both are aware of them. And, and I think that's what makes any sort of um, working relationship uh, fruitful is that you've got to be aware that you know you're working with someone that's very different to how you are um, but sort of respect that 
um, and, and that kind of helps navigate through the the difficult bits. Um, so yeah, so as a business, we started the best part of what's that now? Four and a half years ago. Yeah. Um, obviously, oh, mid twenty eighteen. Yeah, well October. Yeah, so so end of that year. Um, and then prior to that, it was um, it was sort of it was a, a revolving event over in, in the Middle East, which is where it was it was Phil's baby. He and I met over in in Dubai and, and sort of developed it into something that was um, a bit more long term. And, and we wanted something that was more permanent rather than something that would sort of use other venues and make use of different cafes in and around the Middle East, which were really cool events. Um, I went along to a couple of them and just really unique, really sort of special and that same sort of vibe that we have um, here. Um, but just in a different country. And then that evolved into what was a business here in the UK, here in sunny Warwickshire. And yeah, four years later, we're we're here sort of plowing on with this business. Um, gone through a bit of a, a rough patch towards the end of last year with a, with a planning application up in, in Derbyshire, which we, we can chat through in a little bit. That, that's got some frustrations that, that sort of sit alongside that as well. Um, but got some really cool stuff to look forward to. It's uh, it's a, a business that's growing really, really, bu- you know, really quickly, um, and that comes with that you know, it just comes with loads of challenges as well. Though, <laughs> Lewis, it's um, it's something that makes it a difficult beast to try and tame. Um, but yeah, I suppose my journey, and please direct me as to how much or as little you want in terms of the backstory. I but um, but my. I grew up in Manchester in, in Sale, a sort of a, a suburb of Manchester, if you like, um, and never really until the sort of university age spent a great deal of time elsewhere. You know, as a family, we, we lived in a, a sort of a smaller house in a, in a village near Sale and then moved probably five minutes away from there for sort of my my growing up. Um, and... It, it's sort of a childhood that I look at really, really fondly. I was so, um, I was very lucky. It's, you know, had a, a really lovely upbringing um, in terms of the work that my, um, well, my parents sort of in, in the early days. I lost my dad when I was 10 um, and my mum sort of was my first proper sort of real inspiration, if you like. So she, when I was at, at 10, she was um, employed at a beauty salon so she's a sort of a beautician by by trade um and she then decided to pack that up with two children my younger brother was seven at the time um to then work from home to try and figure out how she was going to raise a, raise us to to be a parent and also be the sole provider for for a family and i think she sort of really instilled a a, a determination and a, a real desire into just making it work um and I think that resilience is something that I sort of take a, an awful lot of admiration from her. And, and she's gone on to, to grow a really, a really good business. She's got a, a beauty salon now, moved out from, from working at home as we got a little bit older and we moved into a, another house. And she really made a success of it. And it's only when, you know, I've, I've only really spoken to her a handful of times about this. But, you know, she tells me of the days when she was physically sick about the concerns that she had about what she was supposed to do to, to try and raise a family whilst working, whilst paying mortgages, whilst doing all of these other things. And actually, it's, you know, it, it's something that you completely take for granted when you're yeah. a kid. You know, you don't, you don't view those. And, and I suppose sometimes that's the sign of, of a parent that's doing an awful lot to try and mask you from those difficulties. Which in itself is is very. Um, That's a know. strong parent, isn't it? Like? Yeah, it is, and it, it's that sort of strength. And I think resilience is probably a really good word for that because 
it's something that you you have to learn. Obviously, as children, we were learning to deal with um, a very difficult time. You know, it wasn't from a, a long-standing illness. It was it was a sort of a it was a heart attack, but it was one that sort of caught us all by completely by surprise. So, um, you know, we were trying to process that with all the other questions that go through your mind. Um, but having someone that you can sort of look to is, well, the answer isn't just stop and give up. The answer is the opposite. You know, things are difficult. You just keep going and you just find a way to work through it. And I think if I transfer that over to the last four years of my sort of time here at Caffeine and Machine, after a, a career in a very different world, um, but my time here at Caffeine and Machine is, is filled daily with, with things that happen, often go wrong in some capacity, and it'd be very easy when things get difficult. And don't get me wrong, I've opened with a pretty severe case <laughs> yeah, of, yeah. of things getting difficult. Um, you know, right talking about <laughs> yeah, talking about the cooker not working is a bit different yeah. to, to losing your husband or losing your father. But I think the point stands in that that is it's quite a it's quite a unique uh, trait to have instilled in you it's from like when such you go a into young a job age. Interview and you go, I've got transferable skills. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell me how. Well, uh, so I it started 10. when I was ten. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I think sort of the, the the relevance there is that you know having that person that you can look to. And I'm very lucky that that I've got um, sort of you know a role model like that and, and a mum that raised me in the way that she did. Um, that I have that ability to you know base those 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 very transferable skills on um and but for me it's a it's a huge part of i think why i can deal with lots of um difficulties that we have so regularly at, at caffeine and machine and again we'll, we'll we'll chat about the 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 wider version of that maybe in a, a little while but <laughs> it's uh yeah it's never without event um and i think that's that's part of what attracted to me in the first place is that as a as a business it's it's vast there's lots of different angles to it there's um sort of an ever evolving strategy that that we have that we're trying to implement and it changes regularly um but again that that's sort of what makes it makes it fun and, and sort of complete opposites i suppose to to my life before caffeine and machine which um you know i did a degree at, at not uni for economics and spanish which i loved but again, and Spanish. Spanish, yeah. Oh, so it was a combined, a combined degree, and Is there it weren't about many Spanish of them. economics, or just no, exactly two separate things. Two separate things, yeah. So I, I wanted to do economics. I enjoyed that sort of stuff. So I'm, you know, I, I like business. I like the way that the world works. You know, sort of, I'm interested by by money, and that's not as a case of having it. It's more about what it does and how it works within an economy, and you know, the fact that you can change things. And even at the moment with everything that's going on and you look at interest rates and, and actually the knock-on impact that that has across the, the whole yeah. economy, you know, I've mentioned to two people today that we're hopefully going to be looking to buy a house in the near future. Yeah. Both of them are gone, not with these interest rates. <laughs> yeah, and this is the thing, and it's, it's just difficult. And the thing, it's, it's tricky that, you know, it's the way that things are going at the moment, it is, you know, without doubt more expensive than it was two years ago. Mm. Um, and... If you can find a way to still do it, it's a massive life event, and I think it's really yeah. important. If you can do it, then it, you know you should. But it is also one of those things that you know you can put it on pause and hope that it fixes itself in the next what three years, yeah, maybe longer. You know, we have no guarantee about what's happening. It's only when you start hearing of you know we don't know when this this war over in in Russia, well in Ukraine, but with between Ukraine and Russia is going to end. 
that's a massive part of the whole cost of living crisis, which is having this knock-on impact to the fact that inflation's going through the roof and that interest rates are continuing to rise. So, you know, there's loads of bits there that that all have to right themselves before things start coming back to normality, yeah. which just makes it so tricky. And, and I feel like the draw of economics is probably similar to the the draw for people that do like engineering or watchmaking stuff like this. All these moving parts yeah. and how it all. I think it's flows. logic as well. Yeah, you know, you, there's an element of like like you say, there's there's a process and there's um, there's a method to to getting to all these. And I always liked maths and science at at school. For no other reason than actually, I knew whether I was right or wrong. Yeah, yeah. it's it's binary. You're either you've got it or you've not. And if you've not, then you can work on it. And if you have, then you move on to the next one. And I sort of like things like that because it it lends itself to maybe just to to getting stuff done. Mm. Um, you know, and and if you know that you're wrong, then you can try and address it. Whereas if you're doing you're writing an essay, there isn't really a right or wrong. You've got to try and persuade someone or convince someone. And there's so much subjectivity with that. Yeah, that I actually really struggle with it. And I'd much rather just know if I'm on the right lines or if I'm not. You're describing a big struggle I have. Because I, I, when I left college, I went into an accountancy apprenticeship. Yeah. So my brain works a lot in that. I can, If I make a mistake, I can go backwards and find where it started and follow yep. the route and then fix it. And my, my brain is constantly like, what's the formula to making this work? And then I started a clothing brand, which is objectively creative. And then I have no idea what... And I'm always like, what's the formula to make this work? And my brain is constantly trying to go, what is the formula? And it's mm. like, it's really hard to learn how to not think in that direction. Yeah. Because you're constantly like, there's a formula to make this thing work. I'm, there's got to be something that I can do here that means X and Y equals... Mm-hmm. And then you design a t-shirt and one and of them works goes like, amazingly. Like, exactly. The, the, the Jägermeister Porsche one yep. exploded. Loads yep. of people bought it. I was like, oh... I've cracked it's it. It's easy, this. Yeah. And then I, the next month, I was like, I'll do another creative thing. And like, yeah. it, it didn't flop, but it wasn't like everywhere. It like it, I was did. like, oh, I haven't cracked this formula. What's the bloody... Fo-? And it's mm. so hard to have like, almost like a logical mindset whilst trying to be creative because they work in two different ways. Exactly. So it's... I can really understand why you went into the direction that you went into. Mm. And then the flip side of that is you did Spanish. Yeah, which is a creative thing. And which so, is, language is very much more creative. Yeah. And I, I know there are rules to how language works. Absolutely. And then you go and experience language and none of the rules are real. Yeah, and then you're exactly right. And, you know, it is, it is, it's an art rather than a science. So, you know, it's a, a Bachelor of Arts rather than Bachelor of Science, whereas economics is much more um, sort of science-driven uh, from sort of the, the studies perspective, if you like. Um, but you're right in that there is a formula. So, you know, when you look at Spanish as a language, like with French uh, and Italian, you, you have rules that you follow to change the tenses. You have stems of words that all apply, and, you know, apart from when you get your irregulars. But broadly speaking, there's a process that you can go through to change the word from meaning something about I will do something to something about I did do something. Yeah. And that, again, allowed me to sort of try and process that. To learn the rules. Whilst having that, that element of being creative and, you know, I like... I like the use of language. I, I like the way that, you know, when you listen to someone and, and they speak really articulately, you just think, this is just, this is just easy to listen to. It, it, it's nice. And I, I enjoy that sort of stuff. But similarly, play the piano, play the drums, you know, they're, they're typically considered creative things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I do enjoy those, but I wouldn't view myself as a creative. Mm. Um, and I think that 
potentially we jump the gun and try to put labels on things generally in society. And I don't think that's necessarily always the most fruitful thing. But I probably am creative in certain areas, but not in others. Hopefully not accounting, seeing as you worked in banking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was very creative there. <laughs> no, I never had that much power. Um, so, uh, so yeah, but, and then, like, yeah, so after, after uni, I, I did exactly that. I went into banking, so I did um, the Barclays. They do a few different grad schemes. I ended up on the corporate grad scheme. Um, which I really enjoyed. You know, it's, it's one of those things that at the time, what was this, 2012 that would have been. So the financial crisis has sort of started to quieten down a little bit. But, you know, I used to speak to some of the guys at the, the, the bank and things are very, very different to how it was in the, the glory days, as they yeah. used to refer to it as. The and cocaine it's, um, and Kuntash days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Roughly, yeah, and uh, you know, and it was it was one of those things that I actually really enjoyed it, and I think for me, I the, sort of had to navigate around, and I suppose it was a little bit of resilience. My first placement of all places as part of the two year grad scheme was up in sunny Aberdeen. Lovely, yeah, that's what I said. I was like, well, "Where's Aberdeen?" Aberdeen. That's really, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, Christ, all right, so is this just because I'm from Manchester and you think that it's not far away and everyone else was from London? You'll be able to understand the people. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah. You speak the same language. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so, but it was, it was a, a really interesting experience in the sense that it was the first time that, you know, you go to uni and there's that first few days where you don't really know anyone, but you're all in the same boat, so you naturally start to make friends quite easily and you then get put into whether it's sports or whether you do you know you go to class and you meet different friends and you then start to naturally grow that that group whereas when I moved to Aberdeen I knew no one I didn't even know the colleagues I was working for I'd spoken on the phone to my my soon-to-be boss but I think that really was the first time that I was properly pushed out of my comfort zone um, and was sort of put in a position where I had to do something about it so you know you then get to know the guys at work, I'd play a bit of golf, so would then go and play golf with them and then you get to introduce sort of to their friends. Um but it was a it was a difficult transition yeah. to for what I wanted to get into. But just got on with it. And actually it turns out that just getting on with it and not kicking up a fuss and just going and doing the year that I had to do in the longer run worked out really well because then I was given it was viewed well and positively that I'd done that when they were allocating their second year placements and I'd make a or I had made a a preference to go and work in foreign exchange in currencies again it links in with the economics it's very macroeconomic in that you know you're looking at big picture stuff national policy things you know like the Bank of England and and the impact that that then has on um, on the world but you know through the, the use of currencies and interest rates I really wanted to get stuck into that. It's sort of the more, when you think about banks and trading floors, it, it's that sort of world. Yeah. Um, so we used to work sort of very closely with the investment bank and the corporate bank, and we used to sit on the trading floor um, and was given that, that role, which ultimately is where my, my sort of time at Barclays stayed. So I really enjoyed that. It was really fast-paced. Things would happen in the news, and then stuff would happen on screens, and everyone's shouting, and it's all, it's all going off. Um, but that was a really fun experience to sort of to understand how the world works on a on a bigger scale. Yeah. Um, and then that took me over to to the Middle East, which is where I met Phil. We we had a bit of a shake up at the Barclays office in Dubai, and um, was given the choice of go back to the UK and we'll find something for you to do in in Barclays London, or take redundancy and go and find something else here and, and 
you know, Karen enjoying the Middle East Dubai lifestyle, which, you know, I was only a year and a half into at this stage, was was enjoying it. It was a fun place to, to live as a 25-year-old. Um, so my old boss at the time moved to this startup and he was like, why don't you come with me? I'll introduce you to the CEO. So we went and had a chat. Um, and as I walked in on, on day one, there was a, a chap with not much hair and glasses sat in the corner with his cap on. So I was like, okay, well... The signature. The signature, yeah. And uh, and yeah, and we just we sort of got speaking from, from day one and spent an awful lot of time sort of doing our job, but similarly talking about this thing that he did on the side, and then that sort of started to progress more and more. And, you know, even just thinking back to those conversations, it was really, really infectious. It was, you know, there was a real excitement, and we hadn't even made any plans at this. I wasn't even involved. I was just some just hearing about willing it. participant <laughs> to actually understand all about it. And, you know, when you, when you chat with Phil, he's very, um, very passionate about everything that this business stands for and about the community more broadly. <clears throat> I think it becomes very, um, sort of very easy to spend time in and around that world when when you have that passion and you have that desire to to turn it into something special. So um, yeah, we just sort of went along to a couple of the events that he'd organised. Was introduced to a few um, of the people he used to knock around with. You know, really really good bunch of people that that kick in and around the the Dubai scene more broadly, and then started to just humour the idea, well, what if this was a thing? What if we could turn it into something that wasn't just that cafe rider or yeah. a, 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 a sort of a, a cafe in the art district of, of Dubai? And actually, we had somewhere that we could go and it could be a seven-day-a-week turn up and, and enjoy. Um, so we started to then try and make some very vague business plan and a bit of a general idea about what we might want to try and do. And started looking at places in Dubai to do that. Whole host of things um, made that less likely. Um, Phil's visa with his previous business um, had started, or was getting close to expiry. The startup was starting to struggle a little bit, so they weren't able to continue fulfilling the visas. Um, You have to be sponsored and all sorts. So, um, yeah, obviously Phil and his dad and his then wife and two kids were out there. So he was... You know, he had more responsibilities than I did. So when his visa was sort of coming to an end, it wasn't a case of just doing a visa run to Amman and back, yeah. which I could have done if I needed to. He had a whole family that he needed to look after. So, so I made the call to come back to the UK. Um, and then we started looking for places over here. Um, I was still in Dubai at this stage, but was basically travelling back once a fortnight. My stepdad, so a couple of years after, after my father passed away mum met uh, Chris who was my stepdad growing up so he effectively raised me as um, as one of his own he was really poorly um, in 20 what would that been 2020 no 2017 yeah I think um, and I was flying back basically once a, a fortnight which from Dubai to Manchester is long away, inconvenient and expensive um, so it got to the stage where I was just like this this just isn't isn't worth it he had quite aggressive cancer at this stage and I wanted to be around for him, but also for my family as well. So I thought, you know what, it might be time. Um, so stayed on really good terms with, with the Barclays lot. Um, my, my condition of redundancy when I moved to this startup was that I can't rejoin Barclays within six months. And at month seven, I was starting a new role in Barclays in Dublin um, 
to to do a job that ultimately was a, a better job than what I left um, in Barclays Dubai. So, so you got promoted there. <laughs> well, yeah, on paper, yeah. Um, and it was one of those. It, there was a there's a lot of you know a, a lot of right place, right time with all of that sort of stuff. Um, you know, I, I'm a big believer in not burning bridges, and you know, regardless of what you think might happen in the future, might not. So I left on really good terms, um, just broadly. Um, and the same even when when the sort of the, the time at the end of the Dublin position, which was a, a maternity cover, so that was always going to be finite. But because I was working with sort of the old team again, there was before I decided to do Caffeine and Machine, there was this um, this discussion around finding something back in in the in the UK to continue my time at Barclays. But again, left on on good terms in that I'm going to, not going to a different bank, and that's sort of where it starts to get a bit difficult sometimes. But actually, I'm going to go and do something completely different, and it's not a, a discussion we can have that will change you yeah, know, my yeah. mind with that. But it allowed me to then commute from Dublin. So all my weekends were all spent either going back to Manchester to see Chris and, and my mum, or going to Warwickshire, now that we'd found this sleepy pub, yeah. to strip wallpaper, rip up carpets, take tiles off walls, all that sort of stuff, and helping with the general renovations during... So how long did it take to find this place? So it was found, so the, the search probably started, um, so I guess Phil will have gone back in the summer of 2017, yeah, summer of 2017, because I started in October. So over that first few months, it would have been a case of looking through various bits and pieces um, from, you know, we looked at warehouses, things that are sort of a bit more out in the sticks, we, which wouldn't have had an alcohol license or anything like that. So it would have been a very different sort of feel to the business. Because at this point, we weren't set on sort of it being an old pub. It, yeah, it yeah. wasn't important. The point we wanted to have is that we could have somewhere that people can enjoy spending time outside in each other's company. We could sell coffee and we can sell food. And ultimately, people can wander around and in, enjoy the, the community, which is what we're trying to enhance and build, really. And as part of that um, discussion he had with uh, with his, his ex-brother-in-law, um, who explained about, you know, the, the pub, the British pub is struggling generally. Um, there's, there's quite a lot kicking around. He started looking through, I don't know, pubsforsale.co.uk or yeah, yeah, another yeah. website. There is, a, there is a website for it, though. Like, um, the guy who mm. I started Coffees and Cars with down mm. in Sawbridge with in yeah. Hertfordshire, before he took on the cafe, he was looking at pubs. So he's on this like yeah, subscriber list loads. for it. And every so often he's like, oh, this has just come up. This yeah. has just come up. This... It's like, yeah, great, but we have no money. Like, yeah. <laughs> It'd be great if we had like a million pounds. I'm going to tell you the limiting factor. <laughs> yeah. It's cash. Yeah. And it tends to be. It's um, always cash. Like, yeah. it, you either have to know someone that's going to front you some money, or mm. you have to have money, or you have to have a really good loan. Yeah. That's always the, the hard point is... And none of those are easy to get. Yeah, especially in today's climate. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I, I'm not going to ask the specifics, but obviously one of those things had been available to continue this idea. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know that that's it's a very fair point and a, and a valid one in that we've got so much support from Alan from Phil's dad um, to help fund this. You know, we we all put in money to sort of get it going, and mine just pales into insignificance in, in comparison to what Alan did to support us in the early days. And then we've managed to grow that into to what was a sort of a, a, a well-run business that you know attracted um, some further discussions with an investor who we work with now as well, who's helped us with um, sort of an additional purchase. 
um, with another one not too far behind. So, you know, that's all really exciting as well. But all of these things are all incremental in that, you know, you have to prove that stuff works first before you, you continue to, to grow. So um, a big part of that is is being able to demonstrate that, you know, we're trying to tackle a very particular niche of a, of a market. It's, you know, when you look at it from the outside in, it's very simple. Yeah. You know, we're, we're simple people, Lewis. Uh, and We like cars. <laughs> we like cars. And ultimately, we want people to feel comfortable to eat and drink good food and drink. And, you know, if they want to have an event or they want to stay over, just come and enjoy it for what it is. And, you know, I call it a dysfunctional community centre and have done for a long time in that it is like that, right? Everyone has their own quirks and their own unique ways, but you're kind of welcome regardless, whatever those quirks may be. Um, And trying to create somewhere like that is all well and good, but it has to actually make money and it has to be a business. Got to have a business. Otherwise, you've got a very expensive hobby. Um, and which cars are already exactly you've already got your work cut out at the best of times so you need something that's actually gonna um, you know make it work so we worked really hard and and again that resilience piece was really important over that that four-year period from you know the early days which I'm sure you remember of uh, I remember Phil saying on that the business plan and got down to you and him making 40 cups of coffee <laughs> yeah. a day. It started off with six like, people. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was literally, yeah, 40 cups of coffee, a handful of merch, which we'd always wanted to do, never to the scale that it's it's turned into now, which in itself is is really amazing what the, the team have done. Um, but yeah, it's it, it started off very light touch and it certainly wasn't in anywhere as big as this. But actually one of the things that we've realised as part of that is that, you know, the ability to take in a broad variety of cars because of the space we have really adds to that experience. Um, and people enjoy wandering around looking at the variety. And, it, it, you know, that eclectic mix of stuff mm. is what people really seem to enjoy. Um, and we're lucky that we have that here. Um, but, yeah, so no, I think it's it's something that that we're really, we're really proud of how it's turned out. But... You know, it isn't without significant issues over over the last few years, not least a ten and a half month hiatus due to COVID. Um, really poorly timed that really one. Really poorly timed. Gosh, you'd open a business. Um and so you'd at least had a year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. We had to be fair. We'd we'd had just over a year. But that year in itself, you know, we opened on the twenty seventh of October in, in two thousand and eighteen at midday with armed with six staff. And we had about 300, 400 cars, something stupid on site by half 11. I was on the coffee machine. There was a film McGovern soon behind me saying, we've had to just shut the doors on the on the front of the car park at quarter to midday because we're absolutely at capacity and people are parking up and down the road. And you're like, but there's only six of us. We've got two coffee machines, one of which we're borrowing from our coffee roaster. And there's like a handful of people in the kitchen and we were just trying to make it work. Yeah. Um, and from that point onwards, we had to then firefight for, well, at times we still are. Yeah, for you know, four years. Yeah, and it, it's just a case of trying to fix little things. Some of them are, are big things. Some of them are, you know, road safety concerns of people parking up and down the verges and then having to implement, like, you can't arrive on foot. And mm. that, you know, you, then you get loads of kickback on social media. Well, what if I want to walk in? I'll walk in. Actually, no, you won't because... Our businesses will run it how we want. And if we're at capacity with cars, we're at capacity with people. Yeah. I always sort of say, you know, if you go to the cinema and there's no seats, they're not going to let you sit in the aisle. That's not how it works. 
Like we have a capacity which we want to operate to for the benefit of everyone, including our staff. But also, if you're parking up and walking in around here, you've parked somewhere you shouldn't have parked. Because yeah, there are no car parks. Park. Yeah. So you have to have parked on a verge or at the end of someone's driveway, both of which we don't want you to do. Mm. And it's trying to explain that, that there's a reason why. It's not just to be difficult or just to try and make things more bureaucratic or you know, put blockers in the way of people having a good time. It's actually much more around keeping this place safe so that it can embed itself into the local community which we live in rather than just ruffle feathers and, and effectively yeah. cause... Well, it's like with the, the tickets and the, the yeah, time slots and things like that. Like, when that <clears> came <throat> in, I was still car enthusiast. Yeah. I, I wasn't in any way involved in the industry or anything like that. Yeah. I was like, oh, I don't want to go and pay to see yeah. my friend. And then when you hear the rationale behind it, you're like, oh, actually, no, that does make sense. No, it's like, And I get it. I understand that frustration. I, I do genuinely... I, I hear what the feedback is. You know, so... It started off in the early days where it'd be, um, I think it was a fiver on the door, uh, you'd get a token, which you can redeem for a coffee if you wanted to. The reason that came about is that we weren't able to have any sort of control over who was turning up. So we had loads of people bring picnics, bring coffee and flasks, sit on the... You know, it became a, a public park, yeah, and, and it isn't. It's a business. So you think, okay, fine. So there's lots of people that will come and spend a day, this isn't really what this is about. Not to sort of turn a bit mercenary and a bit capitalist at that point, but bills have got to be paid. Bills have got to be paid. There's a lot of staff now. We started with six in the height of summer, just gone. I think there's 96, 97 people that work it's, for us. It's mad. When Which I heard that wicked. number, I was like, "Where are you hiding all these people?" Yeah, and then you start to think about it, and you go, "Well, there's yeah, almost two there's, rotations. A there's day. three. You three. know, you've got an eight, three, a twelve, eight or nine, and then a three finish." Yeah. So and, and all of them have, you know, somewhere between ten and fifteen people across the business. So on one day you've got forty five to fifty people that are that are there anyway. And don't get me wrong, these aren't necessarily all full time employees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's a whole host of um of, of part time and seasonal staff in that mix as well. But yeah, there's a lot of people. But you turn up and you go, how are there a hundred people in this? Yeah. And then you then you have when that you break explanation down. of how it yeah. all works. You go, Oh no, I can understand. Kind of makes sense now. He's yeah. like, oh, there's two people on the coffee shop, and then there's exactly. there's a few people in the kitchen. Where's the other seventy five people? Yeah. Gone? Then you've got the emporium, and you've got the TP, and then an army of food runners that and are the photographers, and the guys marching exactly. the gates, and the guys in the office, and it just gets bigger and bigger as you start to actually take in how much is involved in running this kind of place. Exactly. And from the layperson's perspective, they won't see that. They'll go, well, I came in and I saw that guy on the gate, yeah. and I got a coffee, and I saw one person there. And I had some food, so there's probably two or three chefs. Yeah. And that's a layperson's view of how a business yeah, runs. Yeah, this and is it's, it. It's different. And we then started to have sort of, again, very legitimate frustrations from people that were, you know, I've just travelled two hours to come here and you're telling me that the car park is full and there's nothing I can do about it. It's like, well, with the greatest will in the world, what do you want me to do about it? Yeah. I, I can't just make magic some space. People are literally parked on every area of ground that we have. And it's, it's now getting to the point where it's just, we can't do it anymore. So then we brought in this whole pre-booked ticket. So if you were traveling from somewhere, you could, you could buy a ticket online um, and then it would always guarantee your space. So the marshals would just make sure that whatever the pre-booked ticket numbers were for that particular day, broadly speaking, there was enough spaces kicking around. Then obviously COVID hit and we introduced the time slots. And now we're just making this transition away from those time slots with this weekend coming, being the first one. It's more um, of a rolling Exactly, yeah. Now, so... And this is to still try and have some sort of control over it because we need to be able to monitor capacity. 
Um, so as we do that over the, the Saturday and the Sunday, you basically pick the time that you want to arrive rather than being sort of shoehorned into a, a nine till half 12 or yeah. a half 12 till three or whatever it is. Um, instead, you just pick the time you want to arrive and then you've got your sort of your three hour slot from then. Um, it isn't going to be as brutally enforced, you know, we're, where we can let it run on for longer than that for those that want to stay for a longer period of time. Then if we can, we will. Yeah. Um, but similarly, three hours is a long time to spend somewhere. There aren't many people that will do longer than that. Yeah, um, not to be rude, but it's a pub. Yeah, absolutely. It's three hours in yeah. a place that coffee, food, exactly. merch, see what cars turn up. But it's not, and a then go park. about your day. Yeah, it's not exactly. A, and, and you know, and we're we're happy for it to be used and abused in in that regard. In that we want people to enjoy it when they come down, and you know, we're we're proud about that experience that we can give people and the atmosphere that we try to create. Um, but at the end of the day, three hours is a long time to, to spend here. I can vouch for it because I do it every day. Um, and, you know, in, in, it's one of those things that... I've been twice this week. I'm already bleeding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would be. Um, but, it, yeah, it, it's, it's, yeah it, it was how the business had to develop to, to try and keep a, a tab on it. And, and now we want to try and bring back sort of having some control over the, the capacity. But actually, more importantly, provide a bit of fluidity to, to a whole host of things not least when you sit on the on the hill or watching the world go by it's nice to have a bit of a stream of cars come and go mm. rather than everyone arrive at nine o'clock and everyone leave at 12 yeah you kind of want people to come and go because it's fun seeing new stuff arrive similarly operationally for a for the team you know we don't want them to have to deal with 200 coffee orders between go. nine and quarter past yeah actually what we'd rather they did is that they dealt with 60 or 70 at nine and then at 10, there's another sort of 70 or 80, and then they drip feed through. So actually, the experience is so much better for, for everybody. So you've got this constant evolution of stuff, but also you've got a better operation that can facilitate yeah, better quality and, be 15 minutes, and faster faster service, and a team that can deal with it. Yeah. You know, So there's, an, there's a welfare element to this for, for all of the people that work with us. So from that perspective, again, it's these operational changes that we're hoping are going to have much more of an impact than just giving some flexibility on what time you come down. Yeah. Um, which, again, is exciting because it's another part of, of the business and how we grow. And It's you just cracking more formulas, isn't it? That's what exactly. Doing. More it formulas. right back to We these. tried it for a long time to get rid of these, and we kept coming up on sort of really sort of specific examples as to how it might not work, um, and then decided, you know what, for the sake of the five times we can think of that it might not work, let's just do it and yeah. work it, work it, you know, work it out backwards. It's um, funny, like every time um, I have any exposure to yours and Phil's working together, it always seems like at some point you're sat in an evening. I don't know why, but it's, it always feels like one of you's got a cigar <laughs> for whatever reason. Like there was a cigar involved, and then you just go full like brainstorm on an idea and just really go to town on it and yeah. spitball every possible scenario and, that. and and that sort of tends to be it you know and it sounds kind of fun but also probably quite frustrating at the same time yeah it can be it can be both of those things um and frustrating for a whole host of reasons you know it, it's it sometimes you know we we want to do an awful lot with the business that that we can't for for reasons that are you know, from legal perspectives in terms of the planning side of stuff and licensing have rules that you have to adhere to. And obviously there's a, we want to make sure that we're sort of fitting into the local community and not doing festivals seven days a week from seven in the morning till midnight. You know, there's there's stuff that we want to try and do within this business that allows us to to still cohabit with lots of other people that, that live in the area. Um, 
I'm not much of a smoker, so the cigar's not it's me. Not uh, no, but uh, it might be in, in Phil's world. But we we do spend an awful lot of time, um, literally spitballing ideas and, and trying to work through um, what those ideas might or might not look like. And it it's that can be really challenging. Um, Phil is a very creative person that will chuck many ideas out into the mix some of which are very good some of which are less so uh but actually trying to to work through them is something that's really important for for both of our our benefits and you know even just today we'll be chatting through a, a few bits and pieces that um you know we'll continue to explore i'm in the the less enthusiastic camp of, of this particular idea but but he's very passionate about it so we'll look at it and we'll, we'll try and work through and, and see if it will work and it will fit what we want to do as a business um but that happens pretty much daily and it does make it fun it makes it really fun because it allows you to get that uh that buzz mm. back and you know lots of the stuff that can become quite overwhelming in terms of the day-to-day and the less exciting stuff but very important stuff can sometimes swamp and you know I have days at the moment where I come in and just feel a bit sort of fuzzy headed and you think you know I can't really think straight there's lots of stuff I don't really know where to start and that that has been sort of a bit of a a frustration for me recently but actually putting that to one side and just allowing your mind to wander for for an hour or so it then takes me back to how this business even started which is when he and I were sat in his back garden drinking vodka slushies with this stupid business plan trying to break it thinking but it just seems like it should just work yeah and i i just i used to love going around like absolutely love going around because we would just talk about it for literally for hours and it would just never get boring yeah so hours and hours on end split up between fifa and his makeshift sim on a one of those little ikea square tables and a beanbag um that sounds like a difficult sim to get to grips with if it's no it's all right no because you were sat in the beanbag on the floor and it was those really low little tables. So your legs would go underneath the table. And the pedals would be right at the Correct. end of your leg. Like it, you're in a Lotus Esprit. Well, yeah, but you'd be up against a wall so you didn't slide. So you'd have a sofa behind you so you weren't sliding backwards. And then the pedals would be against would be against something, yeah. Or against the cupboard, I think it was specifically. But no, it was it was good and it worked just fine. The old uh, PlayStation Thrustmaster, which is still downstairs. Is it? Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> unfortunately, it's literally over the last couple of weeks bit in the dust. Oh. Um, so it will be replaced. Um, we might so, be picking uh, up that motorbike in the yeah. In the audio. That's all right. It's part of the. Uh, it actually sounds like one of those textbook sound effects, doesn't <laughs> yeah. it? It's like a stereotypical a proper, bike. Oh, that's a, a, yeah. a Harley Twin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's just press that button where it says motorbike engine. Yeah, well, <clears throat> funnily enough, the, the software that I use, the Rode software that came with the microphones, has a selection of those buttons. Yeah, and I really cheesy just sound effect. That, yeah, like there's... Uh, well, go and record it, because it might be better than the one you've got. I've got laughter. Laughter. I've got applause. Amazing. Um, Can we end with applause? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, love I don't that. think I've ever used them. Well, maybe today's the day. Um, what else have we got? We've got rim shot, which is probably a basketball thing and not the rude thing. No, it's a, uh, it's a drum Thing. Oh, is it the mm, Well, it shouldn't be. A, a rim shot is when you, you hit the snare drum at the same time that the side of the stick hits the rim, so it makes like a real crack sort of right. noise. I'm not going to press it to find out. I'm intrigued to see what it is, though. What I'll do when we finish At the end, can we have a little plethora of effects? The yeah, that sounds like Because if they idea. all sound terrible, I could just chop that end <laughs> Yeah, we'll just call it a day. Um, no, but that sounds our, good. Our, our on-site sound effect it has, has gone. I, I recorded one of these at the motorist up in Leeds. Yes. In the height of summer. Yeah. 
So we were in a, a room, it wasn't a, a hotel room, it was like a, a boardroom. Yeah. But we had to have the windows open because it was literally like 30 degrees. Yeah, yeah. And it had just been coffees and cars, which... It's a great location up there, oh, isn't it? It's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's really good. We're kind of technically partnered for coffees and cars and it's more of a, they do it every Sunday anyway, so yeah. we're just saying that it's there and they mm-hmm. put one of my roller banners up and they go, look, it's good for your mental health, that kind of thing. Yep. So I was up there for that and we started recording as everyone started leaving <laughs> so the whole podcast Chaos. just like every five minutes because <laughs> they've got a really long driveway as well so I know. Just all the golfs just yeah. flooring it out I was like this is I'm it really, that like, driveway must cause them some bother because I remember when we went to an airfield uh, okay so fine there's some they, residents at the end of it though yeah but I think they're, they they kind of get away with it because there's a speed bump right at the end yeah, oh, yeah so you have is. to really stop for when you yeah. get to the resident and then you're in industrial estate so there's yeah. only couple of houses and an airstrip. They were doing all the works when we were there, um, which I think, I imagine, are all, are all done now. Yeah, all, all the Arnage yeah. restaurants all finished. Yeah, and I need to go and have a look. It's, it's a nice place. Yeah, no, it it's was. It's really big. They're a really good bunch as well, actually. They came down here, we invited them down to come and have a look, and again, it's kind of what we were saying before, is that, you know, it's, I'm all for sharing experiences and things like that. You know, they, they kind of came down, we had a chat, we talked through Caffeine and Machine and what it was about, how it started. Um... We could have yeah. saved so much time by just sending this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But it, it, that's that's another really reassuring thing to hear like from the horse's mouth is that it isn't a, well, we are this and therefore we, we want to be the best and nobody else can, can do anything otherwise you're copying us and we're not happy. It's nice to hear that it's, it's not a zero-sum game. Yeah, it's, exactly. The community and, benefits from having more people in it. Exactly. And I think it's a community that is big enough. It's yeah. a big community, and if there are some really cool places dotted around the country, yeah, we would like to be to be considered one of the good ones, but that doesn't mean that there can't be other great ones as well, and I think that's what's really fun, yeah. is that you know it, it's that there's plenty of space for everyone. Um, it's one of those where you guys have kind of, not necessarily pioneered it, because car places have kind of existed, like Ace Cafe's been around mm. for forever. It's not necessarily got the best reputation, but it has been around and it's been a, a hub for the enthusiasts. But it feels like when Caffeine and Machine started, it was almost like a small explosion of this kind of place existing all over the place. Yeah. Like it wasn't a, oh, another one has joined. It was, oh, there's a car enthusiast place. And then it's like, oh, there's one down there. And there's one yeah. there. And they all kind of seem to start popping up yeah. a little bit more frequently. And it could be social media has then helped people know facilitates that, that doesn't it? It gets it out faster. there's probably a couple of things happening at the same time but it all kind of seemed to just as caffeine machine started and it started to explode and everybody seems to have known about it all of these other ones seem to have started going oh we exist as well we're here yeah and uh, you know I, I think there's there's an element of um you know like i said before it, it's it's a pretty simple idea yeah you know it isn't and and that's not bringing not taking anything away from anyone it's it that's what's good about it it is a simple idea people can relate to it it's designed for a particular purpose but at the end of the day it's a space where people can come and meet and we can provide them with the goods that they want to buy yeah that that, that is that's it right and you know we've lost all the brackets to our formula yeah a plus B yeah equals exactly C. <laughs> it's a very simple function yeah um and uh and effectively that that's all that we really need to to try and focus on and it makes it very easy for someone else to try and do the same thing the thing that we sort of try and pride ourselves on is that, and I get asked this a lot, um, you know, if someone had a, a very large wallet, why couldn't they just go and make caffeine a machine? And I think the the thing that you can't just buy is atmosphere. 
mm. and you can't buy the vibe of a place. And we work really, really hard to try and create a, a unique location that people can come and just enjoy and just be and feel welcome. And that goes back to all the stuff we do on the, you know, there's a reason that, um, you know, stress and culture isn't an Audi night. It's, it's street culture with sort of a German focus so that it covers multiple marks. None of them are sort of specific car nights. Daikoku is to try and cover not even specifically Japanese cars, to be quite honest. It's more about the kind of weird and wonderful stuff you would find at a Daikoku meet. Um, and, and that can cover all sorts. Yeah. Um, so it's... Which means Hyundai's are allowed. Hyundai's, no, all the adverts <laughs> at the moment. No, they're very much arrived, no. but they're not called Hyundai's, they're called Hyundai's. Oh. Have you not heard all the adverts at the moment? No, Everywhere the you that, go. The reason that I hear it as Hyundai sometimes is because of Family Guy. The, the old Hyundai? No, no, the, I come from a land down under. Oh, was it? my brand new Hyundai. <laughs> or Hyundai, or however they pronounce it. But they're still, but they're still very welcome. They're still very welcome. They, uh, they have to battle that whole um, it's similar with JDM. The, um, Skoda is now their yeah. adverts are it's Skoda, Skoda, which makes it sound Dutch. Yeah, ah, he's got the I'm all Skoda. for it. Though. I'm all for <laughs> it. It sounds like Goldmember from <laughs> yeah. Austin Powers. Ah, he's got the Skoda. Yeah, like, they're forcing people to pronounce words in the way that it's they gold. want them to be pronounced. <laughs> um, it's funny you mentioned about Hyundai. Um, in that we did when they had the Envision seventy four and the I'm really annoyed that I missed that. Uh, M22E, the RB22E, the other one. And I, I said to, to Tasha um, from from Hyundai, I kind of felt sorry for the other one because no one really paid it a great deal of attention. Because they made that amazing thing. How special is that? Yeah. Like? I mean, really, really special. But they came down and they supported a, a Daikoku Nights. And we were sort of having this chat beforehand. She's like, we're absolutely happy to do it and we want to sort of try and, try and support and keep the car there into the evening. But we have to be really clear about what it is that we're trying to pitch here because we're not a Japanese manufacturer. Yeah. yeah. I was like, no, but that's not the whole point of, of Daikoku. It's more around the culture. And, you know, when you look at it, my God, does that thing fit into to what you'd expect to see at yeah. sort of a Daikoku meet or, or you know, anything in that. You could have that and then more an exotic. FDRX7 time attack car and you're yeah. like, yeah, they match. Yeah, right? exactly. You could you could put a whole host of stuff there, you know, like even d- the Driftworks Lambo and the, that's the 964 well. stuff. Yeah, it, all that is, you know, it all fits very, very nicely into that same world despite the fact that they're, you know, an Italian or a, a German brand. Um so, yeah, that makes it a bit more accessible. But the whole point of, of all of those is that they're not designed to try and target the Fiesta ST Owners Club. We try to facilitate that in other ways by events that will sort of catch them and a few others. So forward thinking, for example, you know, we do yeah. our, our front wheel drive nights. Yeah, it's almost like the, the Gran Turismo categories. You know, when you first yeah. start Gran Turismo, yeah. it's got the different... Yeah. These you are the cars that fit in here, yeah. but it's not just... Marks and be that through budget, through all sorts. Yeah, yeah. You can have like the rear wheel drive races on Gran Turismo were mm. always the funniest because you'd have like an MX5, but then you'd have something ridiculously overpowered. Yeah, because once you got good at Gran Turismo and you bought the faster cars, you go, I'm just gonna go and test it on this really easy race, and that's what could turn up. Like, because <laughs> yeah. it's so broad speaking, you could have a really, really high powered fast front wheel drive car, mm. and then you can have my Renault 5, mm-hmm. which is 45 horsepower, whatever. Well, they're both from wheel drive, so they're both fine. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Have you not seen my Renault 5? No. It's 500 quid it cost me last year. I love that. It's currently not starting, which is really annoying because it's the Sunday scramble on. Makes it less useful. This Sunday. Yeah, I bought it to daily. Okay. And How many days have you got out of it? A a fair few. Oh, very good. 
until we moved to Northamptonshire, and then I've used it less and less. Mm. But mainly because my commute now is motorway, whereas it used to be country lanes. Yeah, fine. With a country lane, I can break down and I'm not on the You're motorway. Not in the middle lane. Whereas yeah. now it's either the motorway or the A5, and it's. Yeah, not you don't want to be breaking down. Stop. No, I um, appreciate that. But I got it off the back of a, like a TikTok. So I, there were, I think Madrid in 2020 had like unprecedented snow. Right. And Madrid is not designed for no. snow. Nobody in Madrid knows what to do when snow yeah. comes because yeah, it's Madrid. Yeah. Last time I was there, it was 43 degrees. <laughs> yeah. And I was stuck in traffic in a convertible with no air conditioning, <laughs> which is the worst thing in the world. But there was this video of like a Dacia Duster or a Dacia, however that's supposed to be pronounced. I'm not seeing the right book. Picking all the tough marks here. To I know, talk I'm really not helping Let's myself. just stick with Ford or something <laughs> yeah. that's really easy to say. Um, it was stuck in the snow. Like it was going up this hill, stuck in the snow, and it was a little four by four. So all the wheels were spinning, and then out of nowhere, this Renault Four just cruises past. Like the snow's not even there, <laughs> and it really like reignited my like fancy for something old and yeah. cheap and French. But hopefully French, because you can't get a Mini these days because they're four grand mm. for a shell. Mm. So I was like, oh, I really like something cheap and cheerful and classic. Like. I spent a lot of time. Such a cool shape as well, though. Yeah, oh, the Renault Five wasn't even the thing that I was thinking of when I. Oh, uh, okay. I saw fine. the Renault Four, and I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That would, I'd like something small, front-wheel drive, yeah. cheap to run. I can probably fix myself. So I, was, I started with Minis, as you all do, and find immediately they're too expensive. And then mm. it was like Morris Miners, which I didn't really want. And then it was like, oh, Renault Fives and Peugeot Two Hundred Fives. Mm-hmm. They did entry-level models. There's probably still a few of them knocking around at an affordable level. Yeah. And I found this one for 500 quid. That's class. It was in Sudbury, which was 10 miles away from where we were. Yeah. So I sneakily went and had a look at it. And it was a young lad that bought it as a project car, then realised that project cars aren't cheap. Mm. And he's like, I wanted to make it pristine. And he was only like 20. Yeah. He's like, I don't really have the money time, to do money that or, or the effort. skills or anything yeah. like that. I was like, well, I don't want it to be pristine. I just yeah. want it to work. I want it to have I just want to all drive this character. It. Yeah, so I just want it to drive. I want to be able to drive it to and from work. And if it snows, yeah. I want to be able to take it out in the snow. Yeah. Because I, I've still got this vision of... It's not snow since I bought the fucking thing. I've still got, <laughs> got this vision. <laughs> yeah, I'm really annoyed. And then it snowed like a week and a half ago for like 10 minutes. I was like, oh, I got all excited. Can't get it out. <laughs> yeah. And it's not running, so I couldn't even drive it if, it, if I wanted to. I had, which meant I had to take the 86, which is mm. rear-wheel drive, and on big wide tyres at the back, which is scary. Convenient. Than Renault 5. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I, I didn't tell my other half I was going to look at it. From all she'd seen is I've just been scrolling through Facebook Marketplace and going, oh, look, a 205. Oh, a Renault 5. So I went and had a look at it, and it had a lumpy idle, but it started. I was like, if I can drive it home, I'll buy it. Mm. Obviously not right now, because I've driven here. Mm-hmm. But if I, can, if I can drive it, I'll have it. And it was 500 quid. So I agreed to buy it. Again, didn't tell anyone. Went home and said, oh, I'll come and get it next weekend. So I turned to my other half. I was like, I need you to uh, take me to Sudbury. She was like, why? Your car's right there. I was like, yeah. no, I need you to take I me. I need to be able to drive yeah. something back. And I was like, it's not going to fit in my car. I had that out that, <laughs> that I've got is a correct. car and she's got a sensible car. That is correct. I won't fit in my car. All oh, right, okay. So we're, we're like on the way there. I was kind of like, I bought a car. She was like, What? I was like, wait till you see it, wait till you see it. So she, 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 we came around the corner and there it was in all of its glory. Patina. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she was like, oh, that's quite cute. I was like, great. Oh, that's a good that's start. A positive. I was wondering where, I was yeah. wondering what that first response oh, that, was going to be. That was my biggest fit because when I bought the 86, I didn't tell you on either. Yeah. And that was quite a big financial investment. Yeah, like, I can imagine. I was, was living in my ex girlfriend's family's house with her. Mm. Like we were in a bedroom in her parents' house. And I went and bought a 25 grand car. 
without telling anyone and without being able to really afford it. It was that or going to any good somewhere. any good decision. Yeah. Mm. So I didn't tell anyone about that. I bent my previous car, part exit in for that before anyone realised just how bent it was. Oh dear. And then just turned up in it. Just I took my brother to go and fetch it. I was like, Do you wanna come with me? I'm buying a new car. He's like I also uh, need a lift. Well, he, do, he doesn't drive. I was oh, okay. just excited oh, to go. So I like, got the bus or something with my <laughs> yeah, brother. God bless you. When I got this car. And um, she was walking to work and I just pulled up alongside and stopped and beeped. And from her perspective, a knobhead has arrived. annoying person. <laughs> yeah, in a sports door. car. Arrive, the knobhead. Yeah. So I, was, I think she was ready to give me the middle finger before she saw my face. And then she was like, whose car is this? I was like, I've got some news. Yeah. What the fuck is wrong Surprise! With Fortunately, her dad was a massive petrol head, so I got like the all clear when I got back to his, his house where I was living in. Yeah, I was going to say, so he was I've like, got this car that's going to have to just live at your it's house. It's going to be on your driveway. Yeah. You're going to have to move your car so this <laughs> one can go there. Yeah. And I'm going to wash it three times a week, so just make sure it stays clear. I did wash it a lot before I really knew how to wash a car properly. Ah, so I was like, sponge, out. one bucket. Nice. So I think most one of the bucket, one sponge, hose pipe. Start with the alloys and work your way up. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> Start at the bottom and go to the top. That's yeah. the best way to do it, right? And then my mate, like, aren't you just dragging all the mud up? Correct. That's a really smart idea. I should probably Wheel arches, first thing you do. Yeah. All the fun bits. All the best bits to do with a car, which I can do with the Renault now because the paint is actually worse at the top, so <laughs> yeah. it doesn't make. I'm any actually difference. looking after the sills. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they've been replaced or at least welded. Yeah, nice. So remove the holes that are in them. One of them was filled with cornflakes box. Which is a nice thing to find when you take a bit of metal off a car. Is it French? No, it's British. Oh, that's annoying. It spent most of its life on Canvey Island. Where's Canvey Island? Essex. Okay. By the Essex. I don't know them ends. We live there for a bit. It's not the nicest place. Not Canvey, we live in South End. Okay. Which is worse. South End. South End, where all the Ford Fiesta owners used to grow up and take down the seafront, and now there's speed cameras and 20 limit signs. Really? Yeah, for that a, reason. It's a peninsula, so it's just crap mm. where the community spoils it yeah basically um so we bought this i bought this Renault for 500 quid and on the drive back was when i really got to learn all the things that are in a Renault 5 i've never driven one never mm. been around mm. one and uh, i found out that the the rear washer jet wasn't lined up so it would just spray directly back i love that which i didn't know about Handy and I, I still didn't know when i got home because i pressed the button and i heard the noise and then there was no water nothing's on happening i was like oh that's a bit shit isn't it but you were the half piss wet through because yeah, yeah, she's yeah. <laughs> so we got back and you know your thingy spraying backwards. I was like, no, that's amazing. It's good for traffic lights, though, isn't it? It's nowhere it's best, and we found this out when we got home. So I was like, right, let's go for a drive, so you can actually be in it and experience it. Enjoy. Like, yeah, you can be, be experience French for five the ambiance. And we lived in like this, like not a private estate, but it was like this area that was mainly owned by one person, mm-hmm. and we rented off them. Mm. So it was quiet, so we're going round, and then there was these kids on those electric scooters, yep. and they were right up behind us, like oh, really brilliant. aggressively close. And I was like, oh, oh what's this? Yeah. Spray them. And then it's like, it's like a shit James Bond, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> it was like the oil slip. I see your DV5, and I, <laughs> I, raise, I raise you, you a Renault 5. Yeah. Eh, eh. And then it just sprays backwards. <laughs> and it, it stopped doing that, and I'm really upset, and I oh, need to figure it. out why it's not. Because the rear window is at such a rake, 
that the wiper doesn't actually sit on it. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can. So you only that. get the bottom half yeah. of the wiper. So the top bit just, if, just at best just smears stuff yeah. or misses it completely. So it's pointless that it actually sprays that anyway. So yeah. it's much better that it sprays backwards. Just turn first. it sideways and just get really annoying cyclists that hog up the middle of the road. I had an Igo courtesy car once, and the washer nozzle was at the bottom of the wiper arm right so you sprayed it and you go up the wiper oh brilliant but it was really powerful so it would go so straight would go past the right car right over the car <laughs> it'd do your back windscreen and the next car yes yeah. well it was the front washer so you oh, could really? see where it was going which means Better. you could aim it <laughs> and I, for like two days I had this car and my oh, I'd be sole, such a child my sole purpose over these yeah. two days in the summer just to be a dick to get it in someone's window yeah so I'd do unnecessary motorway journeys so that I had people to be alongside <laughs> I don't think I got anyone. I was really disappointed. Uh, that is disappointing. I just, I think I just had too many people with the windows closed. Yeah, with the aircon on. Unlike yeah. your Madrid experience with the aircon. So that was me and my dad in his Porsche Turbo. Oh, nice. The aircon compressor had broken or been dented or something. And we were driving all the way to like near Gibraltar. He got married to my stepmom out there. Mm. And before we set off, I was like, do you think we should get the aircon fixed? He's like, it's like a grand. No, I'm not spending that. We were in this convertible. We'll just keep the roof down and drive quickly. But it's really hot, even with the roof down. Well, it made sense when you were going sat at speed. in the sun. <laughs> it was rush hour in Madrid that yeah, we grotty. really highlighted the need for the aircon. Mm. Because you think, oh, it's convertible, flowing air, which yeah. it doesn't. It goes straight over your head. Yeah. If you're in the back... And you're just really hot. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, 40 degrees, sun straight down, roof down, which I, I don't know why we kept the roof down. It sounds good on paper. Not so good in practice. Definitely not in practice. That's the first time I nearly spun that car as well. He had that car for like eight years. And from when I was like 16, 17. Mm. And then when I turned 17 and passed my test, he used to get me to pick him up from the pub in it. Because he had it on like a company policy right. where it was like any driver. Yeah. And uh, this is probably feeds into a lot of the trauma of my teenage years. In that <laughs> my experience of this car was picking him up from the pub absolutely shit-faced. Right. But it meant that I got to go joyriding in it because he was like, oh, pick me up at nine. I was like, well, I've got four hours. Yeah, I was going to say. Let's go down the Mackey's. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I've just dropped you off at quarter to five. I'm actually not going to go home between yeah, now and picking you I'm up. I'm just going to go and spend <laughs> all of my wages on fuel. Exactly. Um, or your company card. Oh, he didn't have one of those. Oh, or he did and he wouldn't let me. Yeah. Well, yeah, down in the south of Spain, didn't realise how it can be slippery when it's really hot. Yeah. If there's been like any sort of grease anywhere. Yeah, sure. Came off around about full oh, throttle no. and the back went. And I was like, this is four-wheel drive, what's happening? And that was a learning experience in yeah, how to be was. sideways in a yeah. in your dad's port. And not to kill yourself or anybody else. And I had my the, the girlfriend that had to endure me buying the 86 in the car with me at the time and she shit herself. Mm, not literally. Yeah. Bless her. Like, that no, you don't know for sure. Maybe. <laughs> I don't talk to her anymore, so I can't even find out. I wouldn't. If you do re uh, if you do reignite a conversation at some point, I probably wouldn't open with that. It's not the opening. <laughs> remember back in remember that? Did you shit yourself? <laughs> um, but anyway, to bring the conversation away from all of my mad ex girlfriends' pants. Yeah, mm. and my weird stories about buying cheap old French cars that currently don't work. We've hit the hour mark, which is quite a it's a nice that point. That feels to like reach. it's gone awfully quick. Well, there's a, a running joke in it's not really a joke. It's more of an observation. Are you gonna, could you use your laughter button in a minute? I could. Shall I press it now? And see what happens? Well, you have to tell a joke first. Well, it's not a joke. It's more oh. of an observation. Oh. That, and it's not really a funny you observation. Big, oh, Jesus. You pick this up to not only is it not a joke, nor is it funny. Yeah, and I I'm started just, with I'm joke. I'm angry. I'm just disappointed. This is... Well, you're just go like on. my parents. It's fine. Yeah. What tends to happen when I reach the hour mark in these podcasts is we've kind of established 
the dynamic and the conversation has become quite kind of easy, mm. so to speak. It's not, nobody's trying Trying to, to spice it up a bit. It's not even that. But what that inherently brings is that people feel more comfortable just opening up. Okay. So the hour mark is normally where I find people go, oh, this happened to me when I was chatting. Like, oh, I wasn't expecting Interesting. That but you kind of... Well, I opened with mine. I'm hoping the conversation is going to start getting easy at this yeah. point. I've not got that route to go down now because no. we already know what happened. And, well, I, yeah. But I, I imagine... I think the reason for that is sort of... A, it, you know, when we sort of chatted about this beforehand, the, the blurb was, well, let's just speak about you and, and, and what your name is, where you come from. And, and that's a big part of my life and a big part of my childhood, which gave me a, a drive and a determination that... I don't think I would have if I didn't have to sort of make my own way a little bit and also didn't have someone like my mum to, to learn from. Um, you know, I never had the ability of, well, you know, dad'll do it because yeah. there, there wasn't a thing. Um, obviously, as, as mum and, and Chris met and that relationship started to develop there um you sort of you have that figure but he was always to be fair to him he was always very clear in that you know I'm not here to replace your father and I think you know as a sort of as a stepdad myself it's you have to be really mindful of that and you're you're very aware that you want to instill security and you know to to have all the right values and the, the ethics for for the kids that become part of your family but you don't want to try and replace anybody and I think that's a really important, um, a really important thing for for any family. So I, I I had that support, but I still didn't have my dad to to turn around and to to cuddle or to ask for you know guidance or anything like that. So you do feel this sort of element of independence of well, I've, you know, I'll just get up and go. And yeah, you don't have that at ten, but you you do grow into that sort of sixteen, seventeen. You start to think about what you want to do after school. You're going to go to university. You know, I met lots of people at uni that had very rich dads and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, well, I, I don't have that. Yeah. So I'm just going to crack on. You have to do it your way. I'll prove what I want to do to myself in the way that I want to do it. And, you know, I think from that perspective, it gets to the stage where you, you know, you potentially have different drivers to other people. Um, but it makes you value things a bit more. Um, and I certainly felt that that was a, a big part to to getting through university and getting into a job that I wanted to do. I sort of fell into it a little bit. But once I got there, I actually really started to enjoy it. Um, and then always had this desire to go and do something where I didn't work for someone, but I, I worked for myself. Um, and, and the opportunity came up and, you know, I haven't looked back at all. And, and that's sort of, a, that's a, a fun part of it. Um, and how was that step from being employed to stepping out on your own? Like, as yeah. someone who is trying to Tough. take that journey yeah no absolutely and it's a good question because there's there's lots of it's all well and good when you're employed and you've got to worry about doing your job and getting your paycheck yeah. and ultimately your performance and all the stuff that goes with it that you want to be doing a good job you want to succeed at work and all that sort of stuff but when it's the other way around you're actually trying to provide someone else with a livelihood in return for doing something that's going to help support your venture so that comes with a whole host of responsibilities, not least the, the legal ones around sort of employment law and how you actually employ someone and even just like learning on the job. I wasn't an HR manager. I didn't know that, you know, we have to be able to provide employment contracts within certain periods of time. I just want these people to start working for us and I'll pay them. Yeah. Okay, well, then I need to get payroll set up and I need to make sure everything's processed correctly and, 
you know, everything needs to be sorted from a health and safety perspective. So all of these things all need someone to know how to do it. But we didn't have anyone. So yeah. it, was, it was me and Phil that were muddling our way through it. I naturally lend myself a bit more to sort of the, the more business side of things in terms of the, like the processes that we have to have, the legal aspects of what it is that we do. Um, and as part of that, the whole thing was a learning, uh, like a very significant learning curve. But I absolutely loved that. And some of it was dull as dishwater. But I loved getting through a particular period where without learning that new stuff, this business wouldn't have even opened its doors. Yeah. And that's really, that's really fun. And it's really fulfilling to be able to look back and say that, yeah, I mean, it's not very sexy. It's not you know, greatly exciting that you're looking through employment law. That. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's just, it is, it is boring. But actually what you've done is you've employed people and that in itself is wicked. I love the fact that we have nearly 100 people that work for us over the summer and that we provide a livelihood for all of them in varying capacities from different levels of seniority and, and different levels of, um, I guess, hours that they work with us. Some just want it for, for holiday and that's great because it funds their fun time. You know, They'll yeah. spend it on their cars or they'll go away or they'll do whatever. But without them working in our business, we wouldn't be able to sort of to do that for them. So um, I get real you know, positive, warm, funny feelings when I think about the, um, you know, the, the amazing work that we've done as a business to allow us to employ so many people and to even just the internal promotions. You know, we, we promote so many of our team. You know, we've got so many people that started as marshals that now work in sort of our, our more centralised office function, people that started, you know, running food who are now sort of team leaders moving into sort of supervisory roles um people working in the shop that you know started off working making coffee it's there's so much um movement and because we've got that variety as a business it makes it really fun that if people have a desire to do something and we can facilitate it yeah providing they've got sort of the right attitude and they want to go and try and progress in the right way then we can do that We're, we're in a position to be able to offer a variety of things to a variety of people and that in itself is really fun and I get a real kick out of striving to to be a, an employer that people want to work for we have a really low attrition rate you know people um, don't tend to leave us um, that if they move on they move on for you know pretty legitimate reasons and that tends to be for moving on as a, a different step in their career and again, I get a, a massive sense of satisfaction from the fact that many people that move on to, to their next career within the automotive world have gathered some form of contact or they've, you know, they've got more experience from working at CNM, or even just you know, they've become really ingrained in the automotive community even more so than they otherwise may have been. I, I love the fact that hopefully we can help people further their careers way outside of hospitality. If yeah. there's something that we can do to try and help someone who's a, a graphic designer but is working downstairs or a car designer or is, you know, wants to be involved in engineering, but they happen to, to bump into someone in the yard that can help them make that dream a reality, then all for it. That's you know, for me, that's about great. The car world, isn't it? It's, it's, that, <clears throat> it's vast. There's not six degrees of separation in the car. It's yeah, like much two. less than that. Yeah. There's like, you can have a coffee with someone and their best mate is the, mm. your next boss because mm-hmm. it just brings people from all walks of life into one centralised yeah. kind of space. 
And places like this sort of almost put that under a magnifying glass. Yeah, you're like a catalyst for it. Yeah, right? you're, you're removing all the, the periphery sort of four, five, six degrees of separation. You're getting rid of those people because actually you've got this community of people that are all in this same world together and all want to know each other. Yeah. And again, the type of place that this is lends itself to conversation. So it's fine if this was a, a yoga retreat and everyone was really into yoga, everyone would turn up, but you might not get that same level of engagement of people between each other because the whole point of coming to Caffeine and Machine is that you meet other people yeah. and we really encourage that conversation. It's an active part. It's one of our four pillars of, of what it is that we stand for as a brand. Conversation is one of them. And it's about trying to get people to feel comfortable and to open up and to have these discussions with people that can lead to all sorts of opportunities, usually friendships. Yeah, and, and that really draws a parallel to, to why I started doing what I do with Tacoma yeah. is that I was going into, say, like a business meeting. So I, I, did a, I got into UPS's graduate scheme without yeah. a degree, which I was quite proud of. It spoke to my ability that, as a salesperson. I was going to say, and fair play to you, because the word graduate scheme is a relative, it's quite a specific... It's one of the two words. <laughs> yeah. Fair um, play. I'm a graduate of the University of Life. Yeah, so I got in their, in their sales academy, I think is what they called it. So that kind of... You can't get a degree in sales, so it made it a much easier door to, mm. to squeeze through. But that inherently came with, I was then an account manager, and I got relocated down to Brighton. And similar to with you and Aberdeen, I didn't know anyone. Mm. So I was like, well, I'll go to the local car meets, and then I'll start doing sport, which you did golf. I got into jiu-jitsu and yeah. MMA because I was listening to Joe Rogan a lot. Mm. I was like, oh, jiu-jitsu sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to do jiu-jitsu. Here we go. And I made loads of friends. And, but what I found in that environment was I was going into a business meeting, say, with a logistics manager or a director. Or, mm. And if the conversation steered anywhere near cars and it came to light that that other person was a car person, all of the other stuff that we needed to talk about just dissipated. Close by the wayside. We're just talking car. I'm now yeah. making a friend and we'll sort that stuff out as yeah. mates rather than this is now a business meeting and I've got to sell you something oh, I'm now just talking to my mate about cars and then we'll sort the logistics thing and we'll see if it's a viable option. Mm. And it took so much pressure out of the situation. And the reason I started doing this initially was, well, let's make that connection almost immediately because mm. then it will make my life easier. I was going to go into like shirts and do like liveries running through. And if you knew your cars, you'd understand what it was and mm -hmm. it would make that connection for you. And then it organically grew into what it is now, which is Let's make connections for people and use those connections to get them talking more and mm -hmm. make it okay to talk about mental health and difficult times, things like that. But it is that car world connecting people thing. And the idea was let's make that connection as easy as possible by almost having it right up front mm. and how that can lead to all sorts of wonderful things, whether it be friendships or relationships or jobs or yeah. opportunities or sitting, chatting to the owner of Caffeine and Machine because we're both interested in cars and mm. chatting. That's the car world that most people who aren't into cars don't see. And I imagine it's one of the biggest challenges that you've had to face in that you're approaching, say, the, the Derbyshire community as a car business, but you're actually a community business. Yeah. But they don't see that because there's cars nearby. And they go, well, cars are noisy and loud and fast yeah. and people drive them badly and they're dangerous. And it's like, well, that's a sad byproduct of an amazing thing. Yeah. Because the community is what drives people here. It's not necessarily their inherent love of cars. Mm -hmm. Yes, we all like cars and we like machines that go quickly and look pretty and 
in some cases machines that sometimes don't start but also when they do they go slowly they go very slowly but it's, but it's that whole love of the character of it and it's, it's yeah. what it does and it's the, the sense yeah that of, Renault has so much more character than it yeah. has anything else it's but not that's why fast. you love it it's not it's quite practical but it's not that practical it's old it's a little bit rough around the edges but it's full of character and mm-hmm. I love that little car for it and I smile more in that car than anything else I've ever driven but I love that it also brings that character to everybody that encounters it yep I can't Endearing. take it anywhere without someone appreciating it. Like yeah. I'll be on the motorway and someone will film me going past yeah. stuff like that. And that's the car world. That's the bit that the challenges you face don't see mm. because they don't live in that environment. They live in the cars are loud and fast and noisy mm. and people don't drive them very well. And I imagine that's your biggest hurdle when you're exploring these new ventures. Yeah, definitely. It, it, it certainly is one of them. Um, I think you've summed that up really well because it's that whole even maybe bringing it back to a slightly more technical point of one of the reasons that the the planning application was refused it went to committee and sort of I spoke for for four minutes on sort of what it is that we're about and trying to explain um, a bit more about caffeine and machine to the committee members that were there who weren't really overly bothered about understanding much about the business Um, but one of the the points it was refused for was called uh, unsustainable development and that was around the, the focus of that. It's, a, it's quite a long policy, sustainable development. Um, and within there, there's a whole host of things. One of them is about the fact that um, sort of going forward from the whenever the policy was made, I think it was 2017, um, in the local plan, that a venue that is being developed or intensified for use should be accessible by public transport to try and reduce car travel. Right. Now, this place doesn't have a bus stop anywhere near it. And this is this thing that they were hung up talking about for a long period of time around the fact that there is no bus route. You know, it was cited in one of the objections that the buses run until 5.30pm and they don't run on Sundays. How on earth are customers supposed to get there? But Carsington Water Visitor Centre down the road attracts 1.2 million people a year and there's a, there's a jewellery centre that's being built next, next door with exactly the same... Pro- I mean, when I say the visitor centre's down the road, it's probably... 150, yeah, 200 yeah. metres away. You know, it's not far I know at all. Yeah. Um, and then you've got the jewellery centre, which has got 100 or so parking spaces that's currently being built. And you think, all right, so I'm starting to get the impression that this isn't actually the reason that you don't They're want this thing They've just tried to find a thing to pin It's on. a type of business that you don't like, but unfortunately that's not a planning policy, so you can't pin it to that. So you have to find some stuff. But part of that sustainable development is about social, environmental and economic development and, and, and how that might be sustainable. And the point around the social um, benefits that, that a site like that can bring are absolutely huge, but are really difficult to explain to someone that simply doesn't get it. Yeah. And it's a very difficult concept to try to explain to uh, you know, an old, rich, white, middle-class person that's retired in the Derbyshire countryside, of which the vast majority are, that they don't want change happening on their doorstep because they think that change is bad and they think that petrol heads are loud, noisy and fast. And the amount of times that I had it recited to me that we don't want a venue that focuses on high-performance cars and illegally modified vehicles. I was like, but we don't do either of those two things. We're a a site that welcomes everyone, whether you've got a 45-horsepower broken Renault 5 or you've got any any other car that fits into the automotive world, which is huge. And it doesn't, you know, they pick up examples of stuff on social media and they put videos and they're like, well, how do you explain this? I was like, well, I explain this because you found a video of a Lamborghini leaving the site. 
No one posts the bumming Fiesta ST that that left or the anything, you know, the Ford S Max that yeah. was bringing out a family of kids for the day that wanted to come and have a look around, your... which was me and my rabble. Yeah. Um, and to go and have a look around and to, to go and just enjoy the, the site for what it is. But the reason that no one knows about that is because why would it put, put onto social media? Social media is designed to sensationalize stuff, right? You want to look at interesting things. The vast majority you know, of people are in lovely cars. It's their pride and joy, but it probably doesn't warrant being circulated around the Derbyshire community because it's loud and, and noisy and unruly. Yeah. But unfortunately, that doesn't fit the rhetoric of what they're trying to, to get across. So the business, unfortunately, to those that don't understand it, and there's a big case of never let the truth get in the way of a good story, the business is perceived to be something that it's not. And, and that's a real frustration when you give so much of your life to try and develop something. Yeah. It's really wearing when you feel that it's actually not being listened to and you're, you're not having a fair crack. And as an individual, I think we all have things that will um, frustrate us or things that we can't necessarily let go. My, my big one is, is equity. I'm, I'm a stickler for fairness. And I really, really hate things that aren't fair. Not retained value in property. Not retained value in property, not that equity. Equity is a concept. And when there is inequity, I really struggle. Yes. So when, when something happens that isn't fair, you know, I'm not throwing a strop and saying, oh, life's not fair. It's actually, I just disagree with it. Like, really, it really frustrates me. And that, that happens across the world. And, you know, life isn't fair in many, many ways. But things like this really bug me because... It hasn't been thought through properly. It hasn't had fair crack. Yeah. We've not been able to fairly and accurately put out our proposition to people that are prepared to read it and understand it with an open mind. Um, so local politics, unfortunately, has got the better of, of that in the short term. So we're now just working through what our plans are to, to sort of go down that appeal route and, and to effectively have someone look at it more pragmatically and, and say, you know what, on planning terms, we hope they will say that it, it has some merits. Yeah, um, that perhaps weren't taken into account before. And those kind of situations, they really do breed, like, a feeling of well, let's find a workaround. Yeah. Let's almost be mischievous. Let's mm. let's do something that we're not really in the spirit of what we want, but it will get us exactly. to reach the end. And it it's one of those where it's like if they looked at it from a a more kind of logical perspective of well, if we decline somebody's application when they've been honest they're more likely to try and do something they shouldn't and it will effectively bite us in the backside either way. You're absolutely spot on. And I think the, the, the way we approach this planning application is there, there was sort of two or three main points. One was at a larger car park. This is a pub that can, it's got probably 100 covers indoors, maybe 70 or 80 outside. It's got a car park that's 25 strong. It's got an overflow car park area that's been used. It probably can accommodate 40 to 50, but it's a, an area of grass. It's not ideal for what we'd want to use it for. Um, and it's got a campsite for, you know, best part of 40 or so pitches. So again, there's lots of space and there's lots of stuff that we could do as a business and just continue to run it as, a, as you know, the, the way that the business was run beforehand. But we wanted to do a couple of things. One was to put the Emporium on the site because it's a big part of our business. We wanted a sort of a small purpose-built uh, building that would sort of accommodate that with a little coffee shop. We wanted to have um, a, a means of taking the, the, the cars away from the road faster. So we wanted to put sort of like a, 
an access road, if you like, sort of further into the site so that cars could nice and steadily come away from the road and there wouldn't be congestion. We wanted to put a new exit to make sure that the visibility displays when you're leaving the site were much better than what they currently are now. So as part of our application to do this, we were really hoping that the council would look at it and say, all right, well, we can see that you're actually making a lot of improvements to the site with the main focus being on road safety because we're taking cars away from the, the highway faster and more safely because there's a steady stream of traffic rather than people queuing in the road. But actually, when they do leave the site, they can see better. Yeah. So they have the ability to leave more safely than they currently do. So your point of, well, we can still operate. We own and operate a pub here. We've just bought a pub with a valid trading license. We can open it tomorrow. And, and that was the point, is that we can open this place as it is. Yeah. We just don't think it's as safe as it can be. And it can be safer if you allow us to make these changes, because we do genuinely think it will enhance what is going on. But now that you've not allowed us to do that, We'll open it as it is. And you've got the and, consequences. And if it, it happens that there's yeah. queues on the roads or that there's you know bumps because people can't see when they're leaving, it'll, it'll still be our fault, unfortunately, Lewis, is the yeah. fact of the reality. It'll still be our fault. But we'll be able to sit there and say, but we did try to fix this and you did tell us that we couldn't. And, and that's, that's frustrating. And that's, yeah, and again, you it's, feel like you're being the bad guy. And, you, and you've, we've you don't not want tried to be yeah. difficult in any way, shape or form. We've done exactly what you said before we've been honest and really transparent with what it is that we want to do and we've been really transparent with the processes and the protectionary measures we've put in here at, in, in Ettington to try and make this place as safe as possible which when you look at how it was run four years ago versus how it's run now is a very very different place and even speaking anecdotally to, to sort of Stratford um, Environmental Health who do with the, the noise complaints and stuff I sort of call up every now and again just to sort of find out whether there's been a lot of complaints or whether there's any frustrations or if there's anything that we can do to try and help because we're mindful that we're in this community that lots of people are involved in. So I make these calls every few months just to get an update. And and the, the message I got back was, you know, touch wood, don't jinx it, but I've not heard from anyone recently. Um, and that's because we're able to try and make these changes. Yeah. And we've got four years worth of trading hindsight to approach the Derbyshire site and say, but we can start as we mean to go on now, rather than have to backpedal in the way that we did down in Warwickshire. Yeah, but you're going from experience now, aren't you? You yeah. know what works and what doesn't work much better than you did in 2018. But if they don't like it, they won't want it. Which is, to be fair, Derbyshire, yeah. having um, grown up in the region. Yeah. Because I, I, this was the comment I, I made when I first heard where it was and what you were doing. It was, oh my God, I wish that existed when I was there. Yeah. I grew up not a million miles from there and the the first time I ever did 100 mile an hour in a, a car was past Carsington Water in my dad's Porsche. Like, but you wouldn't do that I if was, you were to go to Caffeine Machine today, would you? No, I wouldn't do no, that correct. anywhere today okay. because it's illegal and I'm not a 19-year-old in my dad's Porsche anymore. Correct. I'm a, an adult with responsibilities. That, that damn road is stupidly straight. It's very straight and it's quite pretty. Mm. And if I was to go back there now, I would put my 360 camera on the car and do 60. Correct. And it would still look fast, actually, to It would look fairly. really quick because yeah. those cameras make it look yeah. incredibly fast even though it's slow. It's funny, though, because I was saying, um, I actually had a chat with um, two members of uh, Derbyshire Police earlier today. Uh, I had a, a Teams call with them to sort of make some introductions and, and sort of catch up. And they were incredibly supportive of what we are as a business and um, were sort of giving their opinion on it. And they basically said that the area gets so busy in the summer that actually the traffic sorts itself out. You can't go fast down the dam road because it's full of camper vans and, and people that are going to the tourist attractions nearby. So... You know, I did say, surely someone somewhere must have looked at that road as straight as it is and thought, is this really the most sensible thing to do? 
But their point was that actually when all the nice cars come out into the countryside, they can't go fast because it's just full of everybody else that's out as well. Yeah, unless it's Joe Achilles in an Audi R8. And yeah, he managed to get the one day nobody else God love him. put a camera on his car. Yeah, God love him. But uh, You were there for that, weren't you? I was. Yeah, that was a good story. Um, he's going to be a future guest, hopefully. Yeah, he is out. a good guy. I, I, I didn't really know him, and then I came to I Love You, Man. Yeah, and this has happened wonderful. to a couple of the guests, where you, you know someone from afar. So, mm. um, Wheeler Dealers, Mike Brewer, yeah. know from afar. You see him on telly. Mm-hmm. Ah, he's a bit of a wheeler dealer. Mm. Shake my hand. Yeah. You see that. And then Hold you, out your hand. You encounter him. Like he's I, really, really lovely. Yeah, and I came and I came to I Love You Man and I yeah. came with that, oh, he's probably just going to talk about how many deals he's made. And then you hear the story and like, no, oh cool. shit, this is a yeah. really genuine, really no. nice And he guy. is a really, really, he wrote a letter of support for our application in Derbyshire. You know, really supportive of what it is that we're trying to do. And he is, you know... TV personas, I think, always have that. You know, people will always make their... Um, it's bigger than life, isn't it? That, that's yeah, the idea. exactly. It's, it's all exaggerated. Exactly. And, you know, the, the all the backwards and forwards around the Ed China stuff, you know, when you hear Mike talk about it, it's it's brutal. Some of the stuff that went on is, is you know, really, really horrific in terms of the, the response that that got um, when they decided to part ways and... Yeah, he's a, he's a good guy and one of many of the, the I Love You Man guests that we've we've had here who are, you know, just with not a bad guest. There's been some really interesting brilliant. stories that you wouldn't expect yeah. until you hear them. Like it, it's really insightful and yeah. having that space for, for people to share them has been a really, like, really positive thing. Yeah. And I think the community has really appreciated having that opportunity yeah. to to come down and to hear these stories and to get a little bit more intimate with these yeah. people that inherently most people have seen here Somewhere. and there and yeah. to to not use the influencer word because it's not that no absolutely it's, but it is you know it is people that tend to be in some form of the public eye not always um but but in some instances it's people whether they're you know journalists or they're you know we've we've had a, a real mix of people that tend to be of sort of a, a higher profile within um, their world of work that, that they, they operate within. At least three of them have been on my podcast now. Oh, really? Oh, that's yeah. good. So Stephen Dobie, that episode I, I was going to say he's the most recent episode, isn't it? Came he? out on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, Revs. Stephen uh, Dobie's wicked. He's, he's lovely. Yeah, really good guy. And uh, so, is, to be fair, so is Adam as well. Adam's and great. Alex. You've had the... Alex. I've had Ian Callum. Ian Callum. So are you just going... Are you I'm just, just turning are you just, up. And are you then just then hanging around at the yeah, end? Yeah, yeah. If you're you, just if hanging you get around. Like, and I love you, man. It comes with yeah. an inherent invite for me. <laughs> yeah. So hey, I've got Joe Achilles right. has said yes. They've all got very, very good stories. But it's one of those where the, the <clears> people <throat> that you guys would have on are inherently people that I would want to talk yeah, to of anyway. Course. So it's, it's not that I am just loitering. And they're all a really good bunch. Yeah. They are a really good bunch. That's not the reason I come. It's like, no, oh, I who know. can I invite on? Like, no, I'm Max teasing Maxine Cooper, I've got a contact to speak to him now. Nice. Because I was here. Yeah. I was like, oh, this was. This has been fruitful. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. I know you're a you're you're a big advocate of it anyway. So it's um, yeah, it's it's. But they're, they're my favourite evenings, and the 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 real kick I get out of it is seeing many of the same faces that come along to listen. Um, because actually, it's a really specific part of the automotive community that really engage with that stuff. Yeah, and I get such a kick out of seeing the same faces, many of whom travel on their own. But they'll meet the same people that they've spoken to previously, and actually, that that community of a of a first Monday of the month evening is really, really special. And I, yeah, I thoroughly enjoy being being a part of. I've it. made friends from being there. Yeah, I, there's a couple of people that I 
We Even just have. to sit and say sit. hello and, yeah. and nod and, you know, how are you? How are you getting on? And just build up conversation just because you recognize them because yeah, you've been I, there I would before. say that I know you better from those yeah. points. More than anything else that I've done here or that you Absolutely. guys have done or having a car that's liveried up and people know who I am. Yeah. Coming down on that Monday night is how you and I have yeah. connected most. Definitely. And I always feel like a, it's funny, I'm always waiting for your question yeah. because I know you will have... A more in not necessarily insightful but you'll have a longer form question to ask yeah and i think that probably comes with a sense of you're not like a punter so to speak that's just gonna oh i've had this question that i want to ask you're a, a person of like relative awareness of the world in which we're in, that, in this particular so site, you can ask yeah. a question with a little bit more insight into the industry and yeah, maybe, you can yeah. direct it a little bit more. Like I, I remember there was a night where you didn't get here till late and I was like, I will fill that gap. And it was yeah. someone that I knew, so I knew what question to ask. And I was like, I can ask a long form question with an expected answer yeah. to provide this person with an opportunity to That's say the, something. A good question is one that, they, that leads on as well, yeah. isn't it? And I, I think it might have been Joe Achilles. Yeah. Because I said something about like, what advice would you give having been in the public eye and how the mental health stuff mm. comes along with that. And I really led down this lane with an expected ending that I was hoping to get. And he, he answered and he kind of went off topic. He went, did that answer the question? I was like, no. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> Carry Thanks, on. Though. <laughs> yeah. But it, it meant that there was the opportunity to kind of like direct mm. in a way that was beneficial for the room. And I feel like you often do that. I really enjoy it when Phil and I get the opportunity to to host the I Love You Mans, you know, in the events that, that Alex isn't available or what have you. Um, the one with you two was really interesting. I really enjoyed it. It's one. really fun. I, I, you know, it's probably, God knows how long we've rambled on for here, but, you know, I, right. I enjoy... My longest is three hours, so we're way off Oh, Christ, off yeah. No, I don't think my bladder will last that long, actually. No, I just finished my cup of tea. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I think it's... It, I do enjoy talking to people. Um, it's something that, you know, this particular business or whether it's... Um, sort of backgrounds and stuff I enjoy chatting generally to to whoever it is you know whether that's downstairs in the bar and I love you man you know it, it's it's a lot of fun and, and this place does lend itself to people meeting and and catching up about life um and I love you man yeah is special for that and yeah the questions maybe it is a bit easy for me to ask a question because I've usually met them beforehand anyway yeah. and I think that sometimes makes it a bit easier if you've you've just had a beer with them um, before the evening or, or have met them prior that you can then ask a question and they're almost braced a little bit for what it might be and like you say I think the sign of a good question is one that's kind of maybe a little bit different but also allows them to talk about something else you can kind of lead them to somewhere that you think would be useful for other people to hear about um, but yeah certainly don't claim to, to, to get them right but it's um, but yeah I'd said to Alex on we had James Cameron didn't we on uh, yeah. on Monday which was brilliant really enjoyed that discussion he's very easy to listen to isn't he Tells um, a really good story. He does, he yeah. does. And he's just, yeah, just an all-round good person. Um, I've only, so I've met him a few times, <clears throat> but not like intimately, like we've mm. had brief chats. And yeah. it's, it's, it's not like... He got a reference in his chat. Did I? Yeah, he said about all the good stuff that you're doing about the community. And he said, you know, obviously what Lewis is doing. With I've got a feeling I was out here. Oh, really? That's annoying. For you a legitimate reason, though. No, someone that I knew was having an anxiety attack. Oh, uh, no. And I'd never met them in person. We've just tweeted yeah, each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as I was walking back to the tent for the, the Q&A bit, oh, bless. he was like, oh, it's great to meet. I'm sorry I can't come with you. I'm having a bit of a, a, a panic attack. Yeah. So I was like, that's okay. Let's, let's chat. Yeah. Let's get some fresh air. And I spent probably 15, 20 minutes like, just chatting. Mm. 
creating a distraction and helping calm it down. And so, so it meant that I missed the first half of the oh, Q&A. Yeah. So it must have been in that bit. Cause then yeah, I, I think I it was. I think it was about... Because he was stood up and he only stood up in the Q&A bit. So, um, yeah, yeah um, I think it must have been a question around... that Because that was one of the points I raised with him afterwards, is that importance of community when you're talking about... That I mentioned about the sustainability thing about our, our Derbyshire because we're just catching up about life generally afterwards, and it's this bit about social benefit that, yeah. that something like this can bring. And you know, he referenced referenced you and CNM and what Adam's doing with Revs and you know all of that that, Q, that Q, community Q article, article that uh, yeah, yeah. basically <laughs> yeah. just break that out. God love him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just read the bios everyone. Um, but it's so true though because if you don't highlight sort of the the issues and the concerns and, and make it acceptable to just instigate conversation. It doesn't even need to necessarily be about anything in particular. No. It's just talking. Yeah. And and that's what makes it really fun, which is why the I Love You Man nights are so good, is that, you know, they're not counselling sessions. We know the square root of fuck all when it comes to uh, providing anyone with any meaningful advice. Yeah, yeah. And Alex, God love him, would be the first to say the same. Um, you know, but has himself been in very, very dark situations. He was our second I Love You Man guest. And, you know... He speaks very candidly and very openly about what are very serious issues. And I think more broadly, you know, when we sort of invite our guests to come and speak, is that we don't necessarily want them to get all deep and meaningful if they don't want to. If they will allow, if they, you know, will let that, if it's the post one hour of your chat, you know, if they feel comfortable enough to, to delve into things that are a bit more challenging, then, you know, it's a safe space for them to do that. But that isn't the intention of what I Love You Man is to, to try and make it. Um, you know, we don't want to be having people crying on, on the sofa. If they, if they feel in that position, then of course it's fine to do that. But it isn't to try and make them feel like they have to delve into their, their deepest, darkest. Um, yeah, which is one of the conversation pieces I have around doing this when I invite people on. It's, it's very much a, look, this isn't a, mm. a live therapy session that we're going to record for the world to hear. It's mm. an example of conversation more than it is anything else. It's mm-hmm. a... Look, it's it's not scary to just have a chat with someone. Yeah, it doesn't have to be mental health related. It doesn't have to be tell me your deepest darkest fears. Mm. It can be let's just have a chin wag. But the inherent process of talking to someone about anything will help because you you're having an engagement and you're mm. you're inherently having that back and forth and it will help your mind to get into a good routine. Yeah, and being in a safe space where it's okay to have those things enter the conversation is really important mm. and that's why this exists as an example of that because as much as I make a joke about the hour mark even though it's not a very good joke and the laughter track will never enter it mm. you're right it isn't very it's not a good joke no. but it does happen yeah no I absolutely appreciate it because you're right though in that you've, you've hit that level of comfort where you know you're chatting away and we even spoke about it before it's like so you know what do you want to talk about it's like well we'll just talk and see what happens and like, that suits me because we can just you know yeah. we just see how we get on and you out the gate were like yeah so my dad died when so I was my dad's 10. dead <laughs> um yeah absolutely and it's uh it is it's one of those things that um well it's sort of settled it early on didn't yeah. it really well, and then we just move on that from that i had from um, that point i had one of the police interceptors on <clears throat> oh ah, wicked within 10 minutes he was like so a child had died, and I was like, yeah, okay, well, we've started the ground. Yeah, that's something to go on. Yeah. Can only get better from here. And it got a lot lighter as we yeah. went through. But it started really, I was like, yeah. right, well, we've, we've hit that mark, so we can't get any worse than that. I mean, they must have to deal with some Oh, that's, that was the reason he left stuff. the force, was PTSD. And he now does a lot of work for PTSD awareness and yeah. stuff like that. That's his, that's why he, and that's why we had the conversation and how we yeah, know each other. But it is that case of, if the environment is a place that inc- mm. allows it, it doesn't have to encourage it, it just allows mm. it, it inherently makes people more comfortable to 
to approach the topic. Yeah. And if you create a space that allows more than just a quick conversation, like you guys have here with your three-hour windows, mm. you will more inherently get to those things through attrition, if anything. Yeah. yeah. You run out of, oh, how yeah. was the game last night? Yeah, exactly. It's more of a... But also you feel comfortable when someone says, so how's work? Actually, you know what? It's pretty shit at the moment because I'm struggling with this, this, and this. And yeah, the all you need to do, mission guys, and this, yeah, and, and you can. You just need someone just to to ask a question that thinks, you know what? I'm not just going to say, yeah, it's all right, thanks, which is the standard response that everybody says to anything. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. You? Are you? Yeah. Well, not really, but I've not got time to go into it. Well, we have. We've got all the time you might need. I've got three hours. Yeah, so exactly. Um, so you know, I, I do think that. That, that's sort of the feedback that we do get and, and you know James mentioned it on Monday in that the I love you man stuff is, is one thing but actually having a site that people can just turn up to to meet friends and you know it might be that people are travelling from different parts of the country and they I use it as a meeting Brian for a Daigoku once yeah in the passenger seat of my mate's 86 that he'd just put on air ride and big tyres <laughs> it was the sketchiest drive of my life oh dear but you're exactly right people will come from far and wide to yeah. be part of this world and to meet with people that they've either met at CNM or, or friends that they choose to use CNM as a meeting point it's supposed to be a place that people come together to to chat whether it's with people that they meet when they're here or whether they pre-arrange it and, and use it as a, a bit of a destination so that's what it was built for and, and that's hopefully why people use it. Well, I think that's a really nice point for us to end on. Super. So we'll end it here. Very good. And then we'll press all the buttons. Press the buttons. Right. Press the buttons and make the buttons do the Let's thing. Let's see what the buttons do. So we're not going to be able to hear it because okay. it's not replaying Even better, the audio. We'll only hear it afterwards and you can let me know if it was any good or not. I'll just send you this snippet. Yeah, do that. So <clears> I'm going to go through them as they appear on screen. Let me turn this around so you can see it. We've got intro, outro. Oh, we can hear them. Quite long, isn't it? Is it going to do that whole circle? Yeah, there's a little Do timer. the applause because we finished. Right, we've got the applause. Jeez. It's quite long, isn't it? Yeah, this is... That is good. So the laughter which should have happened... For your joke. Much better reception than I got from you. That is... Yeah, it's true. It's true. The real reception that I got from you... <laughs> oh, brilliant. And then the basketball... Drum set. Oh, it, it is. Was the one that I thought it was. That's yeah. crap. That's not a rim shot. That's not what it is. I call bullshit on road. Scary. Maybe if we ever do a true crime episode. Yeah, you can come and do the Halloween special. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Got crickets. After I. You can it. come and do the 4:45 departure. This we doesn't can... sound like crickets. No, it doesn't. Sounds like someone putting something through water. We've got a harp. Oh yeah, this can be a zen moment. It sounds like a the, the flashbacks. Yeah, yeah. When I was ten. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Christ, you can do the sad trombone as yeah. well. Right, that, that's all I get. I thought there was more. There's two pages, but they're empty. Nah, that's deceptive. That's for me to fill with my own Harley sound bites. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's very good. A pleasure. And no, it was really fun. Enjoyed that a lot. Leave all that crap that we just did in. Super. It's amazing. Stuff it. It's, it's all going in. It's all going in. Lovely. Lovely. Cheers, Dan. Thanks, mate.